Hello and welcome to the Kane and Rinse Podcast, Volume 10, Issue 487, in which we're talking about everything. No no easier way to say that, I suppose. Um, I looked on the podcast schedule when we unposted that at the end of last year and found that he had me literally signed up to host everything. Uh, joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Issue 487 are Tom Quilfelt, Wiggle, Ryan Edwards, Hello, hello, and Jesse Fuchs. Hello. Everything. Everything. Should we give a spoiler warning up front? <laughs> I don't know how much story there is to spoil. Um, there's a puzzle. There, I think there's some stuff at the kind of sort towards of. the end game where things go um, go in a different direction that you might not expect if you were just kind of viewing the um, viewing the the early stages of the game. That might be fun to discover on your own. So we'll put kind of a mild spoiler warning up front, but it's not a plot heavy game in as much. This was uh, released on the PS4, PC, Mac, and Linux back in uh, March and April of 2017, and more recently came to the Nintendo Switch in January of 2019. Um, it is developed by David O'Reilly, who is an Irish artist and animator uh, currently based in Los Angeles. Early in his career, he worked at an Irish animation studio called Cartoon Saloon, who's famous for doing a, a few kind of well-known animated movies like The Secret of Kells, Song of the Seas, other uh, films within that kind of specific style. A uh, very talented studio. He's since done a lot of kind of animation and directorial gigs uh, for film, TV, music videos, etc. A lot of high-profile things, um, Adventure Time, a few music videos that you, that you may be familiar with, and uh, released a video game. And more re- uh, relevantly to our discussion, called Mountain in 2014, which was also published by Double Fine, who took on publishing duties for this as well. Um, just kind of briefly, we're not going to be focusing too much on it, although it might pop up here and there in the conversation. Mountain was not as much a game as just kind of a simulation of a rotating mountain that would occasionally kind of pop up thoughts, things that the mountain was thinking so to speak, uh, kind of existential questions and stuff like that. And then every once in a while, a uh, large object would crash into the mountain. Uh, It was more something you kind of left running in a second monitor uh, while doing other things and occasionally check in for uh, funny little kind of tidbits and stuff like that. Um, Anyone here have strong feelings about mountain? Kane and Rin's three-word review never played it. (laughs) I I saw it and I read... uh... As I recall, a very mean and funny review by Tevis Thompson of it. And I was like, well, I don't need to spend four bucks, I guess. Uh, It looked nice. (laughs) I like, you know, uh, I'm just happy to see the spirit of the flying toasters come back. But if you can't run it as your, um, you know, your lock screen, what's the point? Fair enough. Uh, This was, as we mentioned, published by Double Fine and uh, programmed by Damien Defeed, I'm going to say. Sorry, I should have... uh, Brushed up on my pronunciations. Music composed by Ben Lucas Boyson and Sebastian Plano, which um, underscored narration throughout, not constantly, but um, segments here and there by uh, Alan Watts, and uh, English writer and speaker known for interpreting and popularizing uh, more kind of Buddhist, Taoist, and uh, Hinduist uh, types of uh, philosophies for Western audiences. Um, he, he died in 1973, and so all of these recordings that you'll hear of his are archival recordings. Um, but uh, you'll, you'll hear his voice a lot through the game, and it's engaging with his philosophy that kind of gives the game a lot of its um, 
lot of its narrative thrust, if we'll call it that, a lot of its meaning, a lot of the kind of authorial intent, I think, was to mechanically represent the things that um, that Alan Watts was uh, was talking about. And we'll, we'll speak more about the specifics of his philosophy and how they interplay with this particular game uh, a little bit later on. This was all built in Unity as well, um, the, the engine, of course, and uh, kind of a appropriate considering the subject matter of the game <laughs> uh reviews and awards is kind of an interesting spot this got a an 80 in uh it's metacritic review from critics and a 7.1 from users which is a, a bit of a divergence but not the highest divergence that we've ever seen before everyone seems to be trending positively with critics giving a more of a positive shout than the um than the players which for this type of game this more kind of like I guess artsy, fartsy type of game <laughs> like you <laughs> typically expect. I would say um, it's. Uh, I, I kind of expected to see a little bit more of a split between audiences and um, and and critics, but uh, I, I think this game wears its identity on its sleeve enough to where there is probably a little bit more of like a self selection bias going into it. For the, uh, it, it doesn't hide that it is kind of like a high concept artsy fartsy type of uh, experience. Anyways. It, it, any uh, any additional thoughts on these kind of like review splits or or kind of general consensus that you've seen going around? Well, the interesting question every time you see like a seven is there's two really different types of sevens. There's the one with very low mm-hmm. standard deviation and the one with very high standard deviation, right? And I kind of suspect this is the latter. That's not like every person who came to this was like, yeah, pretty good. You know, and sort of <laughs> seven out of ten. It, even though that is <laughs> maybe my ultimate reaction, um, but I, I I suspect there's a lot of um, back and forth, right? And and even people reacting to seeing thinking that seven is way too high or way too low, you know, by giving it a, a zero or a ten for maximum weight. Seems like that kind of. I tend to assume, I guess, when I see user reviews that everyone is giving zeros or tens and kind of way <laughs> right as like a yeah. proportion, kind of like a Rotten Tomatoes type thing, because that's just how the internet works these days, unfortunately. It's it's one of those games that like, and I'm sure we'll talk about this at length today, but, you know, it's just like, how do you review this? Like what, like, like if you have a review process set up for video games and then everything come across, across your plate, it must like just challenge all of your like, like, what is your score based on? Is it like, so gameplay, graphics, aesthetics, like, like, what is the gameplay of this game? And what does that mean? Even like, there's just there's so much to consider that it, it just yeah. becomes like a difficult piece of media to review because a lot of people's experiences are going to be so wildly different. It's always kind of difficult to use um, review scores as like a comparative across different games because, like, you know, every game is so unique in and of itself. Whenever I assign scores to games, it's always kind of judging the end product against the goal that it kind of set for itself rather than, you know, like a genre expectations and stuff like that, because. Yeah, it is really difficult to come up with like what an objective seven writes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do really like that it ends up at like a seven. It is like that. There's that Onion article, uh, Pitchfork gives music a 6.7, something like that, or just mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, everything's a, everything is a seven. Uh, it's the stoic philosophy. <laughs> That's true. Uh, this game is frequently the, uh, the butt of many punchlines. Not the butt, I would say. It's not punching down, but I, I would say that uh, it, it probably does very well for itself in that it has such a funny and kind of memeable name. Um, you'll see all of the kind of discount uh, 
chasing accounts yeah. like warrior 64 on As- twitter always <laughs> post like everything on sale for 276 and then people click through and it's like oh okay this game called everything no, got not, it not a great title for seo though really yeah. is it no <laughs> it is difficult to find <laughs> yeah <laughs> a, a few other kind of notable awards um this one's very unique an 11 minute trailer for everything won the jury prize at the 2017 vienna independent um independent shorts festival and was the first video game trailer to qualify for an Oscar, being nominated f- on the, uh, at least in the long list, for Best Animated Short Film of the uh, 90th Academy Awards. So, you know, first of its kind for video games. And I think it kind of stands, stands to say that that 10-minute trailer, that 11-minute trailer, was, was kind of standalone and was more of a, a piece that kind of accomplished a lot of the same goals as the game. Let's define the game a little bit we'll get into the mechanics a little bit later but uh, just kind of very briefly it's a game in which you inhabit just anything that you can think of in the world pretty much it's this big low poly world of um i mean big low poly universe you end up kind of transferring between planets and even between universes and, and galaxies and down to the from the microscopic level up to the level of moving galaxies and and planets and even the kind of string theory types of laws that govern the workings of the universe itself um it, it goes to all kind of different levels of man- magnification and you just kind of you just kind of putter around <laughs> encounter uh, bits of narration you can dance you can sing and group other um other organisms and other objects into the groups that you just kind of use to run around and explore the world that you're in. I, I call it in the notes here and inhabit all manner of things them up. <laughs> it's, it's not a completely unexplored genre before. There's a few kind of notable, I would say like Driver San Francisco is was my first like big encounter with this genre. Driver San Francisco, we've covered in Canterance before, in which you are playing an open world racing game set in San Francisco. And the core hook of that game is that at almost any time you could transfer your consciousness from the driver of the car that you are currently into the driver of any other car on the road. And you can use that to create uh, create crashes to try to uh, keep your you know racing opponents from gaining on you. You can use that to to try to catch runaway convicts by you know smashing into them. It's a lot of really clever uses of being able to swap between cars in that game. Uh, more recently, Super Mario Odyssey explored this a little bit by uh, allowing you to throw your Mario hat onto other enemies, um, almost any enemy in the game, and utilize their individual power sets um i guess um balan wonderworld this year is kind of similar in that regard (laughs) ghost trick phantom detective was a game in which you swapped your soul in between different objects in uh in all of these interesting kind of puzzle like setups to solve puzzles to try to create kind of rube goldberg types of solutions to uh, influence events as they were playing out uh, in between the spiritual and physical worlds. Space Station Silicon Valley on the N64. Now again, you're talking. Taking on the forms of, of other robotic animals to, to solve platforming problems. Again, like this game, everything differs from Mario Odyssey and uh, Space Station Silicon Valley in that you're not really inhabiting other creatures to use like specific move sets or power sets or anything like that but um we'll, we'll get into those kind of differences a little bit later 
and uh, Paradroid, which we've also talked about on um, on Kano Rinse in the past. There were a couple of others on that episode, and I should have gone back and listened to it, but there was one I remember I haven't played. It was like you're a cherub. It's like around 2000-ish PC game. I keep wanting to say Hades, but it's definitely not called Hades. Apparently you're a cherub who goes around possessing a bunch of different things, and it's a very ambitious game. Yes, anyway. by the guy that went on to make Gaikai and then got bought by Sony, or something. That's all I remember. Something, yeah. So, Paradroid episode, I think we talk about a few more at the beginning as well. Uh, Bennett Foddy, who I know is a big fan of this game, everything, uh, was on that episode and mentioned a couple I, I, I'm not aware of. Messiah is what that was called. That's it. Thank you. Excellent. Also, a few other outside of that very specific subgenre, this niche group of games. Uh, I wanted to point out a few other games that it at least kind of made me think of. Dear Esther was um, one of the kind of origin points for what we've kind of colloquial, colloquially termed the walking simulator uh, these days, which is just kind of a, an exploration type of game where you're not there to solve puzzles. You're just there to kind of progress through a world. And um, Dear Esther kind of rewarded that exploration with little bits of uh, randomized narration every once in a while as you would kind of encounter various um, various points along this journey through the island. And uh, kind of similarly, as you trigger kind of certain flags by transferring into different types of objects or various other ways to encounter throughout this game, um, you'll trigger bits of uh, narration from Alan Watts. Uh, Spore, this made me think of a lot, but I'm not quite sure just why. I think Spore does have that kind of granular um, granular focus at the beginning in which you kind of play as amoeba, like going around and, and splitting off into multi-celled organisms and evolving out of the water into the land and building societies and then uh, kind of building out to this giant like uh, RTS, uh, intergalactic scale civilization builder type of game, which I think is just kind of the dilution of scale, the uh, starting small and growing to be so large that uh, that made me think of this. Um, there's kind of a similar look between the two games, but everything in this game feels very familiar and very terrestrial. Not everything, but uh, it, it, it's most it's more terrestrial than the kind of wacko. Um, it kind of created. Um, characters of Spore, the procedural char uh, characters of Spore that are uh, distinctly alien. Um, I mean, I thought this, that would be probably almost the first game this made me think of even before maybe the Inhabit-em-ups, uh, and partly it's because mm -hmm. they both feel uh, very influenced by Powers of Ten, that sort of famous short film where, mm. you know, it starts with the person and it scales out and scales in. Um, and that, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the ur text for a lot of these, you know, the wonder of the universe through changing your magnification. But also because, and I'm sure we'll kind of get into this when we talk about mechanics, I, f I liked Spore uh, a fair amount, but it definitely felt like it. I was expecting something that was more about systems changing as opposed to sort of the cosmetics right and spore had like a wonderful cosmetic character editor right and once i realized that mm -hmm. that was kind of it was more about making cool like literal 3d objects than uh even space station silicon valley where every creature has kind of a different set of powers and you're combining them in surprising or interesting ways uh the game that this made me think the most of kind of immediately upon starting it up and then throughout the playthrough little uh, surprises um that kind of drew me back to this head uh, head space was a uh, Katabari Damasi. I think aesthetically they both fit into this uh, the same kind of 
a look and feel of low poly creatures and objects um, with a, a real fascination for the mundane things around us, teapots and televisions and, and animals and stuff like that. And um, the thing that I love most about Katamari Damacy is that it creates these kind of Where's Waldo-like systems of, uh, of stories kind of procedurally playing out in front of you. And everything has kind of an element of that as well. You, you kind of see the every kind of creature is where it belongs, and just the the placement of buildings and animals and objects and stuff like all next to each other does kind of tell a little bit of a kind of procedural, not procedural, but a it's a, a story diorama as it goes. And you're Godzilla, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're eating all of the diorama, and it's wonderful. <laughs> and yeah, just in terms of the strategy of both the fascination with sort of the plenitude of things and like, mm -hmm. I'm going to go as low poly as I can while these things are still recognizable. And in fact, that simplicity will make them more cartoony and sort of platonic in some way, uh, I think is a strategy that, that pays off for both games quite well. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to the walk cycles, but God, I love the walk <laughs> cycles here. If you were trying to do anything uh, kind of higher res, higher poly, you would run into problems creating the sheer amount of objects that games like Katamari and like everything need to uh, create the types of uh, situations that they uh, that they want to present. And it'd probably be less clear anyway. Yeah, for sure. And uh, kind of like Katamari, everything does kind of catalog everything that you create or everything that you inhabit as well gives you know little like names for everything and it's like little kind of cute distinctions, like the difference between a large boulder and a medium boulder. It's just like, I like that they thought that through and I like that they're categorized differently as if they're kind of fundamentally different um, in, in spirit at their core. Um, and then of course, Katamari also extends um, what we've already talked about, this this feeling of starting very small and then getting to a large universal scale uh, in its gameplay. Uh, and then also, you know, kind of a lot of the... A lot of the ethos from Katamari and then carried on through Nobi Nobi Boy and Wadham uh, feel very at home with what's going on here. There's a, a large sense of the equal dignity of all things natural and man-made. There's a kind of reckoning with the with this kind of like Jungian unconscious idea of um, of meaning is imbued into objects by the kind of function that we collectively agree that uh, that they have that gives them almost kind of like a, a spirit of their own that kind of transcends the the need to be observed by any intelligent outside force uh and again we'll we'll grapple with all of this a little bit later uh and then tom i'm guessing you put the remaining two on the list here yes just in terms of aesthetics and the experience of playing them i found that proteus and flower uh, were, gave me a similar, similar feeling of floating or mm -hmm. exploring at a very leisurely pace and an almost zen-like experience and kind of there's a there's a, a flow you can get into um, which is the opposite not the opposite but a, a very different flow state to that of which where you're playing a high skill game you know and you're very very engaged in the hand-eye coordination and the actual kind of ha happenings on screen and it's more about relaxing and taking it in enjoying a video game environment a virtual environment that isn't trying to murder you all the time 
All right. With that, let's get into our personal histories with everything. Tom, I think that you were the one that put this one forward for this uh, this volume of Cana Rinse. I did. I vaguely remember seeing this in connection with Double Fine and thinking, and sort of Double Fine in the, over the last five, ten years have carved out a, a headspace in the industry, I'd say, amongst fandom of both being the producer of and now publisher of kind of odd experiences, quirky experiences, thoughtful experiences. And I think the pitch of this game grasped me immediately, the kind of audacity and cheekiness of it. A, to call the game everything, and B, the concept of trying to actually aspire to that um, in the game design. So I think even just the elevator pitch grabbed me straight away. I can't remember how or when I saw it. So I thought, I think when it dropped, it was I was a sort of a day one digital player just because I wanted to see how how it all came together and 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 I think I, I definitely sort of it left my consciousness between here first hearing about it and then suddenly it was about to be released um it's one of those things that you you I get this a lot you know smaller games where you an interesting puzzle game or something like that a 4d dimensional thing you'll kind of check it out for a little bit get excited a little bit excited about it forget about it for over a year whilst the person goes away and actually tries and, and realizes it and then um, when it comes up, it's kind of cool to to dip in, and I played it again uh, recently, uh, just uh, over the last couple of days. Um, jump back in. Great. Uh, this is to give my own history here. This is a game that I've owned for a long time. Uh, I, I'm sure it's. I'm sure I even have it on multiple platforms as well. It's one that pops up in like PlayStation Plus and uh, a lot of you know Epic Game Store free game giveaway and stuff like that. So you know, if you're listening to this, you might very well own it if you often take advantage of uh redeeming those uh, free games that were so often <laughs> bombarded with um but i've had it for a while and i think it i think back when i was uh in university and even beyond i was very interested in games that kind of prioritized um novel ways to tell a story or novel ways to explore a um kind of an interesting concept uh, more than even you know, gameplay first games. Like I was, I was very, and, and no, I still really enjoy those types of experiences like, you know, Dear Esther and Proteus and stuff like that, that don't really fit cleanly into other genres and stuff like that. But I think as I've gotten older and the amount of free time that I have has, you know, decreased from what it was previously. Like I, these days, if I sit down with a game, I tend to be a little bit more like gameplay first. Like I want something that, um, want something that feels good to play. And so it was a game that kind of came out around that time that I was starting to kind of prioritize gameplay and kind of immediacy just for kind of like nice unwind moments. And always one that I was interested in, but kind of pushed off as uh, I'll get to it someday type of experiences. Uh, We all have plenty of those installed on our hard drives that have been there for decade at this point. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I, I played it in anticipation of the show earlier this year, uh, back in March or something like that, finally got around to it. And I think I did the entire game in like probably one or two sittings and um, really connected with it. I I found that the, like I was kind of um, at the same time thinking through a lot of like existential philosophical points um, myself and coming to a lot of, loose conclusions in 
my own mind, but not really knowing where to look for any kind of like academic. Um, I just wasn't really that versed in the philosophy world. And hearing the things that like Alan Watts was talking about, like really made me made me sit up because I was like, oh, this is a lot of the exact kind of same stuff that I've been um, toying around with in, in my mind, but here said much more eloquently and uh, with a much fuller, I guess, construction of, of worldview. And uh, that, that made me very interested. I, I have since kind of spent a lot of time uh, listening to um, Dr. Watts's lectures and stuff like that. And uh, it's just all been very interesting to think through. And so I, I appreciate when I encountered this game, kind of where I was in my own life, my own mind at the time. And, uh, and we'll talk about that later on in the show. So yeah, just this year for me. And I've revisited within the last couple of days as a refresher. Ryan, what about you? Yeah. So a lot like Tom, uh, I am a, just kind of always interested in what Double Fine has its hands in. Uh, I just, I really like, uh, just like like Tom said, the the niche they've carved for themselves of putting out things that are either aesthetically or gameplay just different in their own kind of little world. So um, I was, uh, I was already interested from that point of view. But then once I saw that trailer for the game and and as the game was coming out, like it. Everything kind of uh, took that place in my brain that like a No Man's Sky or a Death Stranding did where it was like, I don't even I'm not even quite sure what this is going to be when it comes out. I just know that I want to find out for myself type of thing. So, yeah, I was a day one digital purchase as well. And, and much like you, Ryan, I played through it in uh, in one or two sittings. Um, uh, my my trophies on the PS4 are glitched for this game. So um, uh, so it only shows I think I've, I've only got like nine percent of the trophies unlocked. I was playing through again uh, over the last couple of weeks uh, leading up to the show. And it and it was interesting because uh, for a game and we'll talk about this later that has a like just kind of a, a focus on how like everything is connected, but also like how little some, like some of our worries and concerns matter. The fact that I was like trying to find ways to unglitch my trophies for this game. Like I think that would have made the developers very happy that like, I kind of had to come to this realization of been like, that's not the trophies. That's not what it's about. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> but yeah, so I played, I played through it twice now uh, to the quote unquote ending. And, um, and yeah, uh, yeah, it really, Really interesting experience that I'm sure we'll expand upon in the upcoming uh, hours. Terrific. And Jesse, how about you? Um, I had heard about this and I was I was interested, but I will admit a little suspicious, partly because of, of Mountain being an essentially passive experience and just... I don't know. Like I bought a Rubik's cube when I was eight because it said there were 30 billion possibilities. And it turns out from my perception, there's like two. Like it's solved or not and then i'm lost uh, and so i'm always you know the, like the big i remember a story about the original elite where they said they did i think like 64 galaxies and 64 planets or solar systems or whatever when they could have done you know a gabillion because uh, it's procedural generation and it's just you know a seed uh, but they were like yeah 64 by 64 is huge but not not going to make people say oh it's just all the same it's all whatever Right. So I was, you know, I was intrigued. I had watched that trailer and I thought the trailer was awesome, but it also didn't make me think, oh, I definitely have to play this. Right. Um, but then, you know, I teach at the NYU Game Center. Uh, I had mentioned earlier, Bennett Foddy really loves this game. Uh, and he was just talking it up at one point, you know, uh, the week it came out. And I was like, 
I don't know, it's like 15 bucks, right? Uh, I forget. But, you know, I was like, sure. Uh, and I played it. Yeah. And like, I guess I guess what we're saying is the end is basically the kind of cutscene and the tutorial is over. And now you can make as much of yourself as you want that bit. Or is there a is there more that I'm missing? No, that's kind of what I'm referring to. The, okay. the nice long cut scene with the yeah, the yeah. Buildings you escape and, hell. Yeah. Everything's good. So, yeah, you know, I, I played that and, and went further and, you know, I don't know, collected stuff and uh, listened to Alan Watts, who I'd always heard of, but had never really listened to. And yeah, I I enjoyed it a lot and then basically didn't touch it until I got Cats. Uh, and then in 2019, I realized, like, it's something I can put on the TV uh, that the cats will not attack, uh, like the bird <laughs> YouTube videos, which make me worry about my TV. But uh, right. Well, you know, are, are you know, I'm interested enough, the right amount. Uh, and so, like, I've gone back to it, but it's almost always been on autoplay. Uh, and then I replayed it, you know, this week to kind of brush up and and actually just kind of sat and listened to all the Alan Watts stuff in a row uh, while letting it autoplay. And that was uh, interesting as well. Great. Let's get into the actual game mechanics here. Um, as we mentioned already, mechanically, it's quite a bit lighter than a lot of the games that we've talked about on Canarins previously. It's not a not a precision game by any uh, by any measure you could call the overall structure of the game somewhat of a puzzle although the most challenging part is probably finding your way back to the home planet once uh <laughs> once you've kind of triggered the um series of events that necessitates that uh and i wouldn't necessarily call that a puzzle as much as kind of a sheer test of memory and uh, perhaps a little bit of of luck in clicking around planets at that point uh wait do you mean to get to the golden gate yes to get to the golden yeah. gate i could not figure that out so i put down the controller and it did it for me same here oh, actually, <laughs> i got really frustrated so yeah i spent so long trying to you gotta let search go, from man. planet to planet yeah <laughs> wow yeah didn't consider not doing anything letting the game take me there um, myself, that might I could have probably saved puzzle, a lot of time there. Actually, now that I think about it, yeah. Hmm. But uh, yeah, just kind of basic movement and uh, traversal of the world. Y you play as literally anything. You can be a little bug hopping around the ground. You can be continents kind of drifting throughout the ocean, and um, everything tends to move in a kind of uh, kind of silly way as well. We'll talk a lot about the animation down the line but uh just for brief context here instead of instead of even having kind of two frame animation to indicate a walk cycle like something in a katamari damasi would uh it's instead uh all of the creatures tend to kind of somersault everywhere kind of stuck into just one frame one pose yeah it's like a 90 degree switch right like, so, yeah, like yeah. The, the characters <laughs> turn at 90 degrees at a time so that you know in four frames they are essentially doing a complete revolution mm. yeah I, I think it's only the mammals i'm pretty sure because oh, when yeah, you're only little, the mammals yeah you're right yeah, when like you're the trees bug, kind of slide around yeah you're right yep that's true um i could tell that from the minute um i picked up that game and i had not, like i said i was day one and i had seen the the preview like everybody else had and i but the first time you take control of that and you're just that big horn sheep and it just starts careening <laughs> oh and end over end i mean that's that's a laugh out loud hilarious moment for me like it just kind of it doesn't make you feel like it's not taking itself seriously, but it certainly it, it just it makes such an instant impression of just kind of like what is actually happening. 
And I, and I think he's David O'Reilly's spoken about that coming from his animation background where he's had that happen in some of his animated stuff before. I think it was is it an adventure time episode or something where that happens? I think yeah, at one yeah. point. So so it's it's very intentional. I don't think it's like a gag about video game animate uh, it kind of inherently is a gag about like the complication of video game animation and how if you're going to have that many objects in there's no way you could possibly like hand animate complicated things for absolutely everything and so right. mm-hmm. um so so it is a gag but it's also quite deliberate and supposed to be silly and 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 you know funny in that kind of i don't know uh, 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 uh douglas adams way i guess or katamari way yeah, it abstracts everything. I mean, it is again. I mean, not just the low polyness, but like right that that makes everything its platonic self. The fact that all of these uh, bears are the same bear essentially doesn't distract <laughs> you, right? As opposed mm, to if they were right, if they all had the same real walk cycle, it would actually look weirder. Maybe you know, um, if you have a big mm-hmm. horde of the exact same thing doing the exact same complicated walk cycle. I do notice the birds were more or less kind of normal. Like they just kind of had like a, I don't know, a, a reasonable flapping. I, I, I thought that was odd uh, and not funny. There's a few different types of kind of classes of animation in here. You'll yeah. see uh, a lot of the plants kind of sprout out of the ground yeah. in clumps as you move around the world. The birds um, flap their wings in ways that aren't like, you know, physically realistic, but definitely evoke the idea. But then even the ones that are more custom like that um, apply to large classes where it doesn't necessarily fit every creature and every object within them. And you still do get some of that kind of silly wonkiness, that intentional mm. silly wonkiness. So like uh, dragonflies also flap their wings like birds, even though their wings should be <laughs> just kind of, you know, moving up and down in that <laughs> right. very fast, uh, you know, imperceptible speed. And and buildings just float <laughs> yeah <laughs> just mm. float along the ground which I, I find the funniest one cars just clip through buildings and you know there's there's up and down in every i think it's only really the bacteria level that feels somewhat less you know slightly less silly because you're just bacteria floating in space but at that point with the movement it's with the sound and the the blur in the background it's kind of like presenting like you're in this underwater environment almost it's such a thick atmosphere that the movement seems i don't know more appropriate somehow it's such a quick way to at least give an indication that the game isn't trying to create a naturalistic world simulation in the same way that you know assassin's creed aspires to be a simulation of the natural world or a red dead redemption 2 or something like that where you know you're meant to look at it and almost have trouble telling whether or not it's real to see the animals performing kind of natural lifelike behaviors and stuff like that. And, you know, I think the game intentionally doing the very silly over the top animations, because even you can get reasonably, uh, reasonably realistic and reasonably um, convincing animations from very, very few frames, fewer frames than you would, you would think if you're, you know, smart about the way that you animate it, you know, we get, we get, walk cycles on the nes and even previous to that um that are you know two or three frames at most and uh, do a a decent enough job of communicating so i don't think it's a necessarily a technical restriction as much as um you know just kind of an intentional way of lampshading the game's um kind of scope art style and uh injecting a little bit of humor 
into it, uh, kind of saying that this is a game about about objects, but not necessarily in the ways that we encounter them day to day. I I think if you want to get um, all kind of Scott McCloud, Chris Ware about it, you can. De- I mean, they're it, who usually make distinctions between like drawings and icons, right? And the idea that you don't look at a comic strip, mm-hmm. you read it, right? And um, which I think philosophically is interesting when you're listening to Alan Watts kind of talk about how things don't exist and these are just words, these are nouns that we place on things, that these objects are really as 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 nouny as they can get. Right? There are these platonic pure nouns mm-hmm. of of buffalo or or uh, you know, coin or whatever. Uh the galaxy. Well he talks about wiggling. He talk about right. it talks about, you know, we are the wiggles of the universe. Everything is just you know, I wiggle at you, you wiggle back at me. Um, and I think in that sense, uh, the, the, it's a sort of nice, silly, fun, light idea of things just moving around randomly and, and planets spin and galaxies fly around and, and everything is just sort of moving. And isn't this all silly? And let's not get bogged down in, you know, the precision of muscular, mo- you know, uh, mo- uh, locomotion or anything like that. It does have that great sense of. Uh, scale too, where as you are learning the abilities to both, um, you know, get bigger or, or get smaller and how kind of like when you get to like the cosmic level of large or when you get to the, you know, the, the microscopic scale of the, of the bacteria that they're almost they're 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 two ends of the very same circle, you know, kind of like it w- when things either become too big or too small for us to understand, they just kind of wrap back around on each other. And the game does a really good job of, mm-hmm. of 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 working those together to give you that sense of like, well, these things are just things. But what but what is the nature of those things to begin with? And and like, what does that mean if when when you start thinking about like the size of your bighorn sheep or the woolly mammoth or the tree you inherited versus the size of the literal galaxy? Like it, like are those are those things two things we can actually even compare with one another? And the and the way you kind of filter through these these um, these vessels that you're just kind of inhabiting and as you know the, the the life spark or whatever like that they just it does a really great job of just kind of showing the interconnected you know the inter the interconnective nature of just kind of the universe and matter in general and the fact mm. that it's making me my dumb brain see say these types of sentences out loud uh, tells me that it, it does an effective job at conveying that interesting thinking back to outer wilds which gave me some ser- no spoilers here for outer wilds gave me some really serious like existential dread because of the size of the pocket galaxy in outer wilds and how you can just go careening into the sun's gravity or whatever i found it really scary like really scary some of these planets and the gravity and everything and this is this is definitely not going for that at all yeah. like it doesn't want you to feel scared because of the scale of everything it wants you to feel fun and included and warm the movement between planes and the movement within planes is all feeds into that like i don't think there's a maybe there's a tiny bit of like accidental horror where you're a tiny thingamajig and then there's a giant spider or whatever like one ascending layer above you. Um, I guess that depends how you feel about bugs and spiders and stuff like that. So you might catch the odd bit of kind of, um, oh, that's scary kind of thing. But I, I really don't think that he's, yeah, he's not trying to kind of 
or are you into being terrified? Yeah, I mean, nothing's aggressive and you you could probably just inhabit it. If if you see a bigger thing, you can like because you can only really possess up or down. the The rules of possession I found fairly loosey goosey, uh, <laughs> and it, it definitely doesn't like follow the scale. Like like you're basically if you're in the ocean one, you're like you're kelp or you're a continent. Like there's not like a stage between uh, I am an individual creature and I am a continent where it seems like somewhere and there's something in the middle. Uh, and I did. I mean, the funniest part, and I think this gets to the, the the levity inherent in the game, which I enjoy, is how if you go small or big enough, you just enter, I don't know, the like video game zone. Uh, where Isn't it mathematical con- Do you mean mathematical construct? Yeah, yeah. yeah you're you're yeah. just in a big glowy world of shapes. And then you come out the, you know, if you if you go down to the level of an atom below that, you're in shape land. And then if you keep going down, now you're a galaxy. Uh, yeah. So it's all a big Mobius strip. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that's empirically accurate, but it's fun in a video game. Yeah, there's, that's that's a fairly old. As far as I'm aware, that's been done in sci fi as well. Uh, I don't want to say what short story I read where that more or less happens, because it's a spoiler for that story. But where people go up something that they will think will ascend to a higher plane and actually they come out of the bottom of where they started. Um, so I think that's that's a nice idea that's that's not necessarily new, but is a a fun way to give people that sense of perspective and obviously solve you know the video game problem of what happens right. when you get to the top and yeah. what happens when what, you... yeah what what is what is sub subatomic you know <laughs> like, yeah. like oh you know uh, it's it's the biggest thing you can imagine yeah that, that does to kind of solve yeah. that uh, you know subtraction via addition and vice versa and Alan Watts talks about. Similarities between the very small and the very large in his philosophy as well. You know, he states that every every creature in the world thinks of themselves as being the center of of the kind of galactic scale, uh, so to speak. In the same way that if we are out on a boat in the middle of the ocean, that we can see in an equal distance in all directions all around us. You know, we all think of ourselves as as being able to see things that are much larger than us and be aware of things that are much smaller than us. But uh, you know, if we look at the at this kind of subatomic level that the distance between the particles that make up the very kind of core essence of our being is mostly empty space and a distance comparable to the kind of at scale distance between planets and galaxies uh, in the um, kind of on the largest macro scale of which we're aware. And the fact that, you know, these kind of overlapping and similar behaviors might indicate that the galaxies that we inhabit are, you know, just the atoms in the thumbnail of some much yeah. higher order being mm. and that, you know, the, the creatures at the lower order are never aware of the higher order. Um, Dr. Watts talks about the, uh, how, if we look at the, um, interworkings of the biological cells, we can see all sorts of different, different cellular types kind of at war with each other. And, at at conflict, but if we were to take um, take a side in the war and root for one over the other, then we would be doomed to kind of collapse the whole system. Um, the particles are not aware that uh, their inner conflicts, um, that their wars that they're raging, are leading to a harmony at a higher order. Um, just as we might not be aware that the conflicts that 
we are involved in as a human race, kind of against and amongst each other, are uh, perhaps lead to a, a, a harmony at a higher order of which we can't um, have any access to. So it's this way of kind of creating a, a looping view of the universe that not only kind of decreases the, um, I don't, it, it's not that it makes us feel small, but it makes everything feel equally important in a mm. way, um, gives equal dignity to all things at all scales. You as your human self at the center of your own universe, as he describes, you are that galactic size to another living being and mm-hmm. they are a galactic size to another and, and, and kind of so on and so forth that, you know, that, that when you, when you take, when you look at scale from a macro perspective, it's just like everything is on kind of this, this, this universally big scale and wherever we fall on it, there's always something subatomic to us and something galactic size. And and there's no, there's no real escaping that no matter what type of being or thing that you are. Uh, and that, that does come through in the game. And, and I, I want to say it's one of the first Watts quotes that you, um, that you get out of the game kind of, like expresses that in almost like a whimsical fashion. I would I'd butcher the quote if I tried to do it, but because I, I just heard it yesterday when I was playing through and uh, um, just just this idea that like that, you know, that you like you your significance is is due to your own personal actions and the way that you feel about your life. But like your physical significance is almost non-existent, you know, that kind of that kind of feeling. What Alan Watts is famous for, ultimately, is, is is sort of popularly known for, is just explaining things in a really easy to understand turn of phrase. Big ideas, ideas from old philosophies. Um, and he says himself, not necessarily his ideas, you know, just kind of uh, uh, repackaged in a way that's going to make it easy for you to understand. And that is, of course, the goal of the game as well, um, is to... Mm-hmm. Uh, present these ideas uh, through light mechanics and um, light everything really. I mean, the dance button I, you could you can ha- have as either kind of light frippery, or you could see it as this beautiful kind of active procreation and silliness, and we're all just wiggles, and all our thoughts are just friction between particles in one interconnected system, and that, and just pressing one button does that, you know. Or pressing the autoplay button, demonst- you know, helps it be a both a screen savory coffee table game ish, but also you know there is something philosophical there about the universe will just carry on without you, come what may, and that's totally fine. Yeah, that that dance um, button. I know we're kind of uh, jumping around here, but that's kind of the nature of this game, right? You know, you can't you can't kind of stay in one place for too long. Um, I I was playing with my son this afternoon um before our uh, at the day of the recording and we just kind of were having a woolly mammoth dance party like we just got <laughs> we rounded up a bunch of woolly mammoths we were playing it was pretty early on in the game we were on a different planet but uh but yeah so we found some mammoth and 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 we were ha- in a circle dancing and then my son was realizing that, you know, as the circle filled up at the top and he's four, you press the X button and you can essentially birth, create another woolly mammoth. And so we're just kind of doing that in a cycle. They're all dancing around. And my son was just like grinning ear to ear. And and I said, what's like, what are you smiling at? And he's just kind of like, I don't know. He's just kind of it's just like it's just neat. You know what I mean? It's just kind of one of those whimsical, beautiful moments that this game can create. But that also is kind of juxtaposed against those other moments in this game where 
Like the game keeps telling you, like, don't worry about what you're supposed to do next. Just explore. And there's a part of you that as a video game player is like, no, I need to know what to do next. I can't, mm. you know, I can't keep shifting back and forth. So it, it has kind of beautiful moments with that um, being off the leash, kind of random exploring, just kind of existing in that universe they've created. But then there can be also other times where just like, well, I, I'm doing this now, but I don't know what to do next or what what should I be doing here? And I guess the answer is probably doesn't exist right you know like you can do whatever you feel i guess well the dance button is is beautiful and 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 brilliant and the fact that some of my highest moments with this game were most joyful and it is that pure joy and i really should show my five-year-old it more because i think he will enjoy that for exactly the same reasons but you can just be kites flying around in the sunset sky birthing new new kites or planes or whatever or lampposts birthing new lampposts or galaxies birthing new galaxies it's wonderful the shame for me was on my most recent playthrough and the first playthrough is that when that when the game does give you something to do which is find the golden gate and then later get out of the golden gate i found those incredibly frustrating yeah because the game just through its mechanics was just not working the way it was supposed to and it was really frustrating me and and spoiling the experience now funnily enough when you're inside the golden gate i know we'll talk about that section later but um that is a very dark section of mood and tone and i don't think the mechanical shift quite i kind of wish there was something a bit different about that section in terms of gameplay because you lose the alan watts and you just have these very very negative messages and i wasn't in the best headspace the other day when i was playing it anyway and i couldn't get out i couldn't find the this i knew what the solution was and i couldn't get there even on autoplay or whatever so so but yeah so there's highs and lows in this experience for me and uh, unfortunately the lows are kind of frustration based rather than necessarily designed other actions you can perform you can sing um at just about any time this usually think of it like a like a calling out button a lot of the animals make noises that are either accurate to the noises they would make in real life or like very silly noises every once in a while you know cars will beep and stuff like that it's kind of what you would expect but it's a nice extra layer of interactivity very light interactivity but uh really impressive the amount of sound library that must have gone into this game i don't know how much of it they captured themselves how much of it they produced or how much of it they like purchased from stores or whatever but uh you can um you can press that button a surprising number of times before you hear repeat um repeat mm. sound waves so um yeah they did, it's they did a really good job funny it's really funny with the musical instruments in the golden gate space just sort of being a piano and it does this funny little thing and then if there's a trumpet nearby that's just like it's <laughs> yeah <laughs> <it> really silly <laughs> yeah that, that you get that a lot with the animals and other things too like where yeah. you, you might you just might not know there there's an animal in the in the area like a giraffe or something and you, you hit that call <laughs> button expecting to hear a bunch of ducks or something and then all of a sudden there's some beasts around the corner it's like you know, it's like it's just like it creates those those moments of levity that you uh that you just come to come to you know, enjoy and and this is a game too and I, I think that we talked about it a little bit before i think if you like ryan talked about i know i mentioned it you could probably finish finish in quotes this game in 
don't know, two and a half hours, three hours, maybe. I think I want to say the first mm-hmm. time it was like a couple two hour sessions is what, what what basically I finished it in. But there's so much in that encyclopedia to go explore. Like the like Ryan was saying, the amount of things that that are here, everything, you know, but um, the amount of uh, like sound effects and just kind of um, the like art assets that had to be created for all this stuff. It, it really is kind of a monumental task that they did that and the fact that you don't hear those things you know over and over and over again another action you can take is to think or to observe the thoughts of other objects and um and animals as such uh, i like that it doesn't restrict the thinking to just living creatures that it um equally so gives thoughts to like rocks and cars and buildings mm. and airplanes and stuff like that because again in this kind of like jungian unconscious uh, collective unconscious kind of way like we imbue a certain amount of life onto the objects around us by the meaning that we kind of give them collectively as a species it, it, it goes into this kind of eastern philosophy that um you know alan watts is basing a lot of his stuff on he, he talks about i don't know if it's in the game itself or it I just say as a side note um, that uh, David O'Reilly is selling through like his website or through a band camp or something, uh, a a download called everything the Alan Watts talks or something like that. It's uh, basically you can pay for a collection of, I think it's like eight or 10 lectures or something. And those are just the lectures that little bits and snippets were taken from uh, and kind of planted throughout the game. Uh, you can hear the entire lectures in their full context um, by uh, yeah, just downloading that little package hmm. there, and, and you can find tons more on YouTube or through um, Alan Watts's estate's website as well. So, uh, plenty of ways to engage with the full lectures. But as as I was saying before, that um, I, I may have heard this in the full lecture instead of something that was actually quoted in game, so it may or may not be relevant to the specific text of the game. But it was talking about this kind of Eastern philosophy of everything having um everything having this kind of collective universal soul in a way that uh even something like a rock you know as you as you knock into it with your hand it vibrates and reverberates and in its own very um its own very basic way that is a response to the action that was imbued upon it and so you know this kind of interesting way of viewing this distinction between life and non-life, which is something that we've more come to like a scientific understanding of than like a philosophical understanding of. Mm. On a basic level, it seems like David O'Reilly enjoys writing these little snippets, sure. you know, because there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. After a while, you sort of maybe don't want to read every single one or absorb every single one. You sort of really nice first hours experience, I think. And after that, sometimes... So I get skip skip a couple of them, but I found in the in the Golden Gate area, they were really dark. There's suicidal ideation in in one of them, in that area, and um, yeah, they really bum me out. So I guess job done in that in that sense. Well, thoughts kind of play a very central role to the um, core progression through the game. This kind of golden thread that. As you're very early in the game, you are listening to and absorbing these thoughts, and uh, you discover later on that they're actually being cataloged in a place that you can go back and reference later. Uh, most of them are just kind of short one-liners, and so you know keeping them might seem fairly kind of trivial or fairly uh, frivolous in the same way that like 
keeping an archive of all the fortune cookies you ever received would be. But <laughs> um, but you can start to kind of trace some of these ideas together and express more complex thoughts in uh, you know yourself, and you know that kind of grants access to these kind of like deeper levels of of the game and and then as you enter this golden gate which we should we should get around to actually explaining in just a moment here but as you enter this golden gate this kind of final area of the game you get a sense that like things are being kept there kept in this abstract space because of these negative thoughts or it's almost like a like a holding house for all of these kind of negative um, thoughts about the self and mm. negative reflections upon the self. I thought they were, they're, if... they're all like deathbed confessions, aren't they? Okay. More or less. Cause they're all things like, oh, oh, I, wish right? I, I wish I had spent more time doing X. I wish I'd, you know, and also kind of mixed with a bit of like comment on materialism. Cause there's, there's just sort of stuff in there for the I most think there's part. A certain amount of randomness as well in which, particular ones uh we may encounter on our playthroughs uh but you know i i kind of got the sense that like a lot of it is negative reflections on the self in that's like as long as it, almost like it's explaining this um this inevitable conclusion that if you maintain a maintain a sense of self then inevitably you'll run into this uh very negative headspace this uh inescapable kind of cosmic prison as it were, and yeah. you can escape from the Golden Gate by essentially erasing all of the thoughts that you had collected up to that point as a as a way of kind of in a Zen way, emptying your mind, uh, releasing your sense of self, and almost in the same way of like erasing your save progress at the end of one of the near games or something like that. Right. You know, it's yeah. Releasing the progress that you've made and the things that you've collected as a way of uh, emptying your hands and returning to the world and its natural beauty. I mean, he, it, it's literally said to be hell at the beginning, right? I think there's one bit of dialogue where at least that is the, the claim of one of the trombones or whatever. Hmm. Um, and, and I mean, it's a fairly common and one of the more coherent concepts of hell, right, is, is as separation from God or separation from kind of the totality um, and, and, and regarding, you know, and not uh, once the, uh, you know, the bounds of uh, corporeal natural selection derived uh, sensory, you know, filters uh, strip away, still seeing yourself as uh, separate uh, from the rest of the universe. And I found that area pretty effective in conveying that in one way, but it was also, I mean, sy systemically pretty much exactly the same as, as the main game where you're just kind of bopping or like, I don't know, I was collecting more stuff and the little percentages were going up. I felt basically right, the yeah. same about <laughs> hell as I do about the uh, utopian, I don't know, um, except for the fact that it lied to me and told me I was trapped there forever, which I kind of guessed I was not. But the first time I played this, I actually did put down the controller in frustration, uh, went and did something, came back, and it was in the middle of that cutscene. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, ah, I, I'll never know how to get out of hell. So I'm glad I replayed it. Now I know. Yeah. It's interesting, I think, because they, they also talk about people. They say, oh, people are, can you believe people are trying to get in here? So I think there's this, it's, 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 you know, it's hell. It's, it's about materialism. It's maybe about the idea of like, if you strived your whole life to be partner in that law firm or to own a Ferrari or whatever, to reach that goal that you think 
you thought that would make you happy, that if you then look back, you're just filled with regret about everything you sacrificed um, to to get there. And then you get into the things like Daniel Kahneman would say, the things in life that make you genuinely happy, like spending time with friends and um, maybe people who practice these, these, you know, meditation and things like that would, would say, no, it's exactly how the game expresses it. It's about letting go of your thoughts and, and being in the present um, and being mindful rather than being uh, 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 wanting things and desiring things and striving for something uh, that you, that, once received or once achieved will land you in this this sort of introspective hellscape so the way that i view the gate and and the the kind of negative thoughts in there is uh kind of goes back to what ryan was saying like the whole zen aspect of like clearing your mind of all thoughts all thoughts both positive and negative just kind of blank slating it and but i found that to be remarkably effective at making me kind of examine my own headspace of like when when do i go to these dark places myself. And, and a lot of the thoughts that were being examined there um, in the gate would be similar thoughts to the ones that I would have during my tougher moments in my life. And I found that to be very effective. And and while dark and, and disturbing in some levels, it was it at least felt very like genuine, like it felt like a like like a real this is how I would collect these negative thoughts and react to them. And and when you're in that gate and you can't escape, a lot of times that's that can be the way you feel when you're going through a particularly rough period of time. So um, I, I found that to be effective, maybe not but maybe not satisfying from a gameplay perspective, for sure. The idea of it, I think, rang rang pretty true. Mm. I, I also think that I, this came in a. um uh, I think the Polygon review I read, I believe they gave it a nine out of ten on Polygon. I was reading through some of the more the more, you know, glowing and more scathing reviews of the game to kind of get the idea of it. And I believe the reviewer described it as the most true to my life game he'd ever played. And um, I can't necessarily agree with that from my own perspective, but I could see how just in this process of collecting thoughts and getting to these places and and realizing the vastness and the oneness of the universe while also still being felt like you're you're trapped in this kind of prison of of bad ideas and bad thoughts like that is that that can speak it certainly spoke to me on, on a number of levels. So, mm. and again, but that doesn't change the fact like, yeah, eventually you want to get out of that prison of negative thoughts and how the hell do I get back to where I started? <laughs> That's a whole other problem. And I honestly can't remember if I autoplayed that section or not. Um, I, I, cause I did do autoplay for some of it. So I found, I mean, I found the thoughts in there, honestly, more effective than the ones in the main game, which they did not strike me as up to the level of the Alan Watts lectures by any means. I didn't really notice that I was cataloging them because they none of them really struck me in the way that, uh, you know, some of Watts' better turns of phrase really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I got to, uh, you know, I don't know, that Golden Gate is very inviting looking, which I, I thought was a nice mm-hmm. touch, right? You're like, you, you don't go into it. Like when you think of, it's probably the first game where you go to hell and you're like, oh boy, um, you know, when you step through the portal, because you know, it looks like something fun's going to happen. Um and yeah, I, I don't know. It was weird. He, he I just feel like O'Reilly is more effective at writing that dark stuff, which was very just kind of direct and like, I regret not calling my mother more or just, I you know, uh, fairly mm. uh, straightforward and, and felt. And then most of the yeah, most of the main game thoughts felt like a guy who likes Alan Watts and, you know, is trying to 
uh, kind of be whimsical and philosophical, but but not, I, I, I'm I'm not convinced that is one of his stronger talents. And I do note that, um, you know, at, we don't, certainly don't need to get into this side of it, but I, I was trying to look something up and uh, it turns out, I guess he's deleted his Twitter account and maybe it has something to do with him being a big NFT guy. So, you know, he is not like Van Morrison, who recorded one of my favorite albums ever, Astral Weeks. He's not a guy I'm going to go to for um, uh, actual real life uh, life advice or, or political direction. Mm. So, and And, you know, and I do feel like maybe some of the slackness of his own philosophy does kind of come through the aspects of this game did not that did not land for me as well as some others. Hmm. Whereas as an artist, I think he is he's incredibly talented and in some ways, like Van Morrison, who, you know, has very good instincts in certain ways, uh, and in his other ways uh absolute dimwit. Uh you know, like like a lot of his instincts land and then just uh I don't know about others. But mm. anyway, I'm curious as to what, you know, if you all had similar reactions or are familiar with him outside of this or whatever. Uh, I wasn't aware of, of any of the maybe tumultuous nature of his um, his thoughts or anything outside of the game itself. Um, what I can speak to that you talked about is I do agree with you that that some of the um, the thoughts in the. I guess the the non gate portion of the game, the main in quotes portion of the game. Um, some of them kind of were flat or kind of, um, I guess, not effective or, or insignificant. Um, and then there was like, so there was part of me that was wondering, you know, like, are these just like, is every one of these supposed to be, you know, kind of intentionally insignificant? Is that all part of the bigger picture? But that might be giving it a little bit too much credit too. you know, it could just be that like, you know, yeah, we wanted to put a thought bubble on this rock because isn't that funny that this rock has a thought bubble, you know, and um not every one of those uh, gelled together to make this, you know, this this incredibly profound piece of thought to me personally. But I do mm. think that the inclusion of the Watts, um, the direct, uh, you know, the Watts uh, quotes and uh, the readings of that, those would be the time, much like you, Jesse, where where I would literally I would just set the controller down and just kind of sit back and just kind of try to take it in. Hopefully I was playing with headphones, you know, just kind of you just kind of really try to listen to the weight and gravity of those words. Cause I, cause those were the parts of the narrative that I found the most um, effective for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I found the golden gate section. I, I have not been in the bed he- best headspace for the last few weeks. That was most effective. I think I already said this, that, that the writing, those parts were quite kind of close to home in some ways mm-hmm. and not having Alan Watts there, that voice of clarity um, leaves you feeling adrift and lost. Interestingly, or he was saying on an interview that, the it was very late in the day that they got Alan Watts in there because it was a, a long kind of process of of kind of getting involved with his estate mm. and talking them round and agreeing a price because Alan Watts's uh, quotations can cost you know hundreds of thousands and he's in like Apple adverts and stuff like that. Uh, this so lots of other people want to quote Alan Watts and get charged handsomely for it. And um, David O'Reilly did say it was the biggest cost, single cost of the whole game was licensing Alan Watts's uh, stuff and he worked very closely with the estate and got to know them, I think his son, quite well. Yeah, this game would be much lesser without that. It's interesting, I saw yeah. the, errant, the Errant Signal video sort of was built on the premise that the whole game was there to express Watts's philosophy, but I don't think that's quite right. I think probably because David O'Reilly, the way he says about how the idea came to him was like before Mountain. It was kind of this an old idea of his. It, it makes sense to me that he would be building this thing 
and listening to Alan Watts at some point and then think, oh, hang on, we could we could get that in here and it take a long time during development to actually do that and worried about legal stuff and cost and what this game would look like without Alan Watts in there would be interesting. I wonder what he might have done with that kind of thought system, whether that would have been built out and given a bit more weight and maybe mm. a bit heavier editing to kind of give the vo- give the game the voice that it that it that it finds through Watts's kind of clarity yeah. and bril- brilliance of turn of phrase. I just don't think it would work without it. I mean, maybe you could put in someone equally. I don't know. It's hard to think of who that would be. Uh, you know, well, there's Watts, lots of gurus, aren't there? There's lots of Zen gurus and 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 yeah. Yeah, but Watts has a really good voice, and he is also. <laughs> Like he just uh, like it is very like the vibe of the game, whatever actual philosophical conflicts, which are many that I see between what you're actually doing in the game and kind of the, I don't know, whatever systemic Egan Bogosti uh, ludic philosophy it expresses through its actions and blah, 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 uh, versus what Watts is saying, like the vibes line up perfect. Right. Mm. And like on a vibe level, I think Watts is like and, and it the thing is, is it it gives you. It substitutes for the normal rewards you get in a video game so well that this actually does secretly work as a teleological video game that is fairly conventional in some Mm, way. Right. You know, in some way, video games are are largely about, I don't know, like the titration of media or just like, you know, when you find a song in Gone Home, it's a song you could have looked up on Spotify, whatever, but you wouldn't have thought of it, you know, um, mm-hmm. and like you you're going to pay a lot more close attention. You unlock the perennial debate about whether all the songs should be unlocked when you get a Guitar Hero game or whatever. Right. Or should you have to earn them and feel like oh, I beat this one now I can play back on the chain gang or whatever. Yeah, I think the Watt stuff is the quality of it is actually what makes like this breaks all the rules, but actually it doesn't. And that's very smart Uh, because as long as you're, you want to hear what the next one is, you know, and you're going to keep searching around and you're going to be satisfied in a way that is both philosophically, you know, intriguing and thought provoking, but also gives you that little serotonin. Honestly, the only Mm. problem is I think it should, the little quote bubbles that you can hit with the thoughts should disappear when Watts is speaking because then I felt a very video game conflict of like, well, I want yes, to hit the little absolutely. thing, but I don't want to yeah. read your BS while I'm listening to this guy talk. <laughs> I mean, you, it's, it's, this is a game as Alan Watts lecture, you know, very bite-sized chunks. If you're, if you're playing for a decent session and you're really immersed, then yes, I think you can get the full force of it. And I don't mind, you know, and it gives you literally oral space for thought you know when an alan watts thing finishes the music doesn't suddenly blare up or anything you know the sound doesn't suddenly take over but come back in or whatever it's it's the space for you to think about it because you're not doing much but then you could also say well no no alan watts structured these lectures in a deliberate way and this is cheapening it and you know just bite-sizing it it's like reaching into a M&M packet and just taking out a little Ah. bite-sized bit of philosophy that you're not really going to string together much deeper transcendental meaning um, unless you yourself go deeper. But then you could just say, okay, well, it's just a gateway drug then. It's just a a very successful way to introduce people like me, like I'm sure lots of people who played this game, 
as David O'Reilly was saying himself in an interview, a much wider audience for video games, like a really staggeringly wide audience for video games, even small ones, than, say, an animated film or the animation animated film world, which is very niche, very small right. um, from the world he comes from. As a way to introduce people to Alan Watts, it's a, I think it's fantastic. makes a fantastic first impression. And actually playing it a second time, I did have a very one in very enjoyable session and then a second, much more frustrating session. But that that's probably just, you know, playing the game for the podcast and trying to rush somewhat is not the way to do it. So I, I can think of another recent example of like kind of uh, injecting full you know, philosophical quotes into a, a game experience where it had the opposite effect on me than everything. And that, that is the witness. I'm not sure who here has played the witness. Um, oh, they yes. have these yes, segments have, yeah. where there's like, you know, video, you can kind of hook up these video projectors. And, and then also that there's uh, these quotes from different philosophers will kind of play over yeah. some of them. And, and that in that game, I specifically felt like those injections of philosophy or the injection of the, of these ideologies was hampering my ability to get back to playing the puzzle game I was enjoying mm. when in. So I felt like it really was taking away from my experience when in everything, I feel like those specific sections, the watch sections are wholly additive. They, they don't, they don't detract from me. And, and I didn't have the same problem Jesse had with the, you know, seeing the thought bubble and wanting to move on and do that. Like, I, I understand that just for, for me personally, it gave me kind of like a, a way to check out and kind of lean back and just listen to that. So it works for me, but I've also had a recent experience with a game like the witness where it, it, it actually, it didn't work for me at all. Mm. So, um, so I can see kind of like, Depending on you know, what your experience is with the game as a whole, you could it could probably go either way for you. Well, the, the witness has a, a speaker similar to Alan Watts, Gunga G, yeah. who's a, she's a yeah. guru, and she just has this incredibly kind of hypnotic way of speaking. And I did find myself quite drawn to that video in the witness, but it was just a video; it's just a YouTube video. Yeah, you know, I could just go to YouTube and watch her more. But then you could you know go to go to YouTube and see more of Alan Watts. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I don't I don't think like I'm not trying to I'm not yes, trying to say the right. witness did it wrong and this did it right. It just in everything. It worked for me personally in a way that it didn't work for me before. Oh, definitely. hundred percent agree with you. I think the way that is structured here is that um, is that in experiencing the game, in playing the game and in engaging with the systems, you start to have a lot of these ideas yourself or you start to notice like, oh, that's that's weird. I'm I'm experiencing things in ways that I haven't before. And then Dr. Watts kind of chimes in with a little bit of context, kind of making the gameplay make sense. You know, it's mm. not um it's not a collectible that is perhaps similar in theme or or aesthetics like you would get in an Assassin's Creed or even like a Donkey Kong or something like that. Like this is it, it feels instrumental to um, contextualizing the actions that you're specifically taking as a player in the game. Mm. You you might get lucky as well. Like I remember playing Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and there's more similarities between that and this than you might imagine, but mainly music uh, uh, or, or <laughs> aesthetic moments. So like Grand Theft Auto San Andreas doing the flying uh, uh, tutorials over the Nevada desert. And then this particular song, I think it was the who, uh, uh, eminence from came on i just you know and and again like driving through the countryside willie nelson comes on uh moments of synergy of, of, of where the music is perfect for the moment in the game and you get this lovely emergent experience um and, and you can get that in this game 
quite easily because they're well matched. But where Alan Watts is talking about, I can't remember if he says this or whether I got this from somewhere else afterwards, but where he's sort of saying, you know, you're not stuck in traffic as if the traffic, as if you're not part of it. Like you are traffic. If you're in traffic, you're contributing the traffic. Everyone else around you is traffic. You are all traffic. It's not you versus traffic or you suffering traffic. And I like that thought. That's nice and easy to kind of pass. And you can literally be a car in this game, dancing around with 20 other cars, birthing new cars at the same time as you hear that that bit. And so you could create little moments of nice uh, emergent synergy where you're sort of something really lands with a mm-hmm. bang because you're experiencing something that, mm. that lines up. Let's get into that philosophy. We've already talked about it a lot, but let's uh, let's pay a little bit more specific attention to the philosophy of Alan Watts here. Um, I've kind of outlined a few kind of running themes throughout his, at least the selections that they've chosen for this game. Um, a little bit of context, born in 1915, died in 1973. Uh, he was an English professor, writer, and philosopher, uh, which we mentioned at the top. Um, he studied theology and actually worked as an uh, Episcopal Christian priest before leaving the ministry to work on uh, Asian studies for a university and eventually uh, became better known for his work in um, kind of interpreting Zen in Buddhism and Hinduism and a lot of these kind of Eastern belief systems. Uh, A lot of it comes down to this idea that all life is connected through this kind of general, general force of life rather than each of us being separate lives in and of ourselves. You know, that birth and death is kind of a rhythm of life at the macro level, uh, kind of like breathing in and out is for us. And, you know, paying too much attention to the individual experience of our own life and death is difficult to avoid because we're so close to it, but um, ultimately kind of a, a, a fallacy in a way. Um, people are not disconnected from one another and from the world. Uh, all life are aspects of this kind of greater collective life. We're not a result of the Big Bang. We are the continuation of the process of uh, creation and evolution, uh, that each of us are the same primordial energy of the universe, expressing ourselves in different ways, but still continuing the expansion of the universe and the diversification and, I, I guess, the increasing complexity of both life and the creation of matter, as it were. Um, yeah, and that we cannot uh, describe and understand our own actions except in relation to the actions and presence uh, of outside beings and things. Uh, that no action is fundamentally self-contained, no being is fundamentally self-contained. That he, he he describes the space between all people as being like a two-sided membrane that we could not exist without there being another side of that membrane, i.e. everything else around us. We couldn't understand ourselves as as beings except for in relation to, in context of everyone in the world around us, everything in the world around us. And that's one thing that, you know, in kind of reading some of the critical responses to everything, that's one of the things that uh, is uh, somewhat um, commonly criticized, that there isn't a lot of interaction between the 
uh, the different the different types of objects that you encounter here. You can you can embody them, and even the way in which you embody them kind of falls short of Alan Watts's philosophy. You know, there's this um, the Eastern philosophy that I, I guess it's really easy to contextualize in terms of like reincarnation, which you know we as Westerners who grew up in more of a kind of Judeo-Christian or I guess specifically Christian uh, idea of the individual soul tend to think of reincarnation as once our soul leaves our body, it enters another body and we begin life anew as another thing. Whereas the Eastern perception of reincarnation is more that we are all expressions of life and that even though I may die, it's not necessarily my soul going to another body, it's life continues you know the same energy that i that i inhabited continues you become part of the force you're yeah. absorbed into the life stream mm-hmm. you uh, your your body returns to the earth and gets harvested by shinra through omeko reactor you, you return same. to gaia yeah yeah <laughs> circle of life the uh, yeah. the lions become the grass and the antelope eat the grass the problem in, with the game okay it would take a much more ambitious simulation wouldn't it to 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 kind of go into Systems and processes and causation Certainly. and weather and chaos theory and the butterfly fl- you know flutters its wings. That is many orders of magnitude more complicated than the simulation that David O'Reilly, just one person with a small team, is attempting here. So, it, so it's both a fair criticism and also I don't think you could expect one person to go that big, you know, go that complicated. But it, it you know. No, but you you do get more of those kind of cross species and cross character interactions in Katamari Damacy's uh, little dioramas that it creates, for example. And, and I think the the lack of interaction and the lack of interest that objects seem to kind of have in one another, you know, even things like uh, bears fishing for fish in the stream, would uh, would kind of create the sense that life is dependent on one another and life interacts with one another and you know if he says that we define our our perception of self and our role as a human being and as our specific human being in particular in the way that the world both is affected by us and affects us it's kind of difficult to make that point unless you really show the world being affected and the the other systems mm. coming into conflict and harmony with each other. Can you become a human being in this game? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember seeing a. You also see, well, you see. I mean, there's a slight ecological thing. You do see humans evolve, don't you? And kind of their buildings get more yeah. quote unquote sophisticated and then you know there are city continents where there are no animals or or, or fewer animals or so you, there's a slight eco message there about humans and their sort of devouring nature i mean that is different from Alan Watts's philosophy and actually in the context now of of you know the real scare now that's on about climate change and about humans impact on on the earth there's a sort of mu- slightly muddled message in here that's different from say flower where it's a much clearer kind of message about nature and the human mm. human's effect or, or disregard for nature. I mean, O'Reilly just fundamentally has little interest in systems, as far as I can tell. Like, that's just not how he thinks. I mean, you know, Will Wright in 1992 could do Sim Earth, and that is probably a better philosophical expression of a Gaia hypothesis in this sense 
Uh, but of course, it isn't like a fun, chill 3D thing. It's a, a horrifying, uh, you know, like <laughs> sim with a 150-page manual or whatever. Um, and very interesting, but just a very different, you know, that that it it could be done if his priorities were absolutely the opposite of what they are. And his priorities, yeah. I feel like, are one right. of the visual artists and a video artist. Yeah, fair enough. And if it's going to be a Punch and Judy show that has no sense of... I don't want to say no sense of scale, but there, there's a famous essay that anyone who's listening to this would probably enjoy this called On Being the Right Size. Have any of you guys read this by Haldane? He invented the word clone and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, mm. But it's an essay basically about like why there's no polar mice, why there are no eight foot long insects, you know, like that you can't do it. Right. That And like, you know, why an insect is more afraid of water than falling because of surface tension and surface area versus volume and blah, blah, blah. And just that sense of, sure, on some fractal level, the galaxy, like, there's nice, you know, Alan Watts can have nice kind of anecdotal comparisons of the similarity of all this stuff. But on some systematic level, they are shockingly different, right? Mm -hmm. And this game has absolutely no interest in that whatsoever. And again, like, the... The powers of 10 scaling up and down stuff, once you played enough, you realize it's way more kind of bespoke and just kind of strung together with if-then statements than anything like coherent, right? And that's fine. And that is fine for what it's doing. But one thing I really like about Watts, who, who I mostly discovered through listening to these snippets in these games, is that while I don't think he goes as deep into, I don't know, the metaphysical ramifications of Darwinian natural selection... Nothing he says contradicts it, and he, he definitely seems he, everything he says is in in tune with the actual empirical reality of I don't know how I don't know. There's the part about like the wars and you know squabbles inside your system, and hopefully this isn't too much of a tangent. But I read a very interesting book called The Cooperative Gene last year, and by the title you'd think it'd be kind of this upbeat like why people get along, and it's actually a book about like why don't all your genes just kill each other. <laughs> like or like because they're just interested in making more of themselves, right? Especially when you get sex in the equation and you've got like, well, half you guys are gonna reproduce yourself, decide amongst yourselves which half. Um there's it turns out they're incredibly elaborate kind of randomizing like John Rawls' veil of ignorance creating systems uh within biology just to prevent all the genes from trying to uh favor their own reproduction over the you know, health of, of you, the, the, mm. the overall organism. And that was something that, that playing this again made me think about. And I was like, yeah, nothing he's saying doesn't, it might not be where he's focused, but it, it, it takes into account the, those things. And even if yeah. he sees it as maybe more ultimately harmonious uh, than I might, that there is a fundamental understanding of if the truth is that we are all one, there is no way that anything survives natural selection with a clear understanding of that truth, because how how possibly could you? Mm. I, I think taking a sidestep, I find, and I, I think I'm due to be on the, the show later in the year, I find Outer Wilds a more elegant and engaging piece overall for for reasons of systems. I mean, it's a different game. It's a very different game. It's attempting different things, but they're going for something meaty. They really get in there and try and grapple with stuff. And, you know, 
the goal of the game is knowledge and knowledge is your progression. And that's a brilliant, uh, uh, not in, 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 entirely dis- uh, uh, not entirely different from everything, but quite different in how it articulates because obviously you, you are trying to progress through the game of Outer Wilds and knowledge unlocks that. But, but also just standing still in Outer Wilds, you can see things change. Um, you can see time progress. You can see this planet loses its sand and gives it to another planet, which changes the systems, which changes what you can access and what you can't. You have to think around it. Whereas everything is much, much lighter than that. Uh, And fair enough. Um, But personally, I I think nowadays, you know, I love my first playthrough of everything. I think going forwards, though, personally, I would like to see if I'm going to be challenged about existential stuff and philosophical stuff. I think I would prefer an experience like Outer Wilds where there's a there's a, you know, slightly more serious sense of scale and and yeah, systems that, that you engage with that are a bit more meaty. I think that might be why I, I did gravitate to this game a lot, because I think I'm like one of the four people on Earth that just did not get on with the outer wilds like it just wasn't <laughs> it wasn't for me like you know it, it was like universally praised and i think that's awesome for that team and and it did a lot of things that i thought were really cool it's just it just the way that it was conveying its message just didn't work for me and this game while and i do agree with jesse like there's sometimes it can be a bit over the head with stuff and and it does cert- there's certain lessons and metaphors and things that it does the i mean it does really just do it on the nose but it just it works for me i'm not sure it's just the way that i process these things and 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 maybe going forward you're right tom i think i might need a little bit more you know than just this kind of what is essentially a sandbox kind of like digital toy thing that also has these injected bits of of uh, you know existential meaning um but i'm not sure that i know i don't know if i if i could really hang with another game that was so similar like this but i do appreciate its means of conveying the you know the messages behind it because it just Mm. it worked for me a little bit more than something like an outer wilds where i was way more worried about you know my the 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 entry angle of my ship and not careening off into nowhere that i that i missed the message so completely that <laughs> that it all just kind of became it <laughs> yeah, just like for, kind of lost its meaning to me um, yeah, ab- yeah absolutely i mean i i nominated this volume 10 i do love it i were very happy to check out whatever david o'reilly decides to do next yeah i would love more games in this vein by other people maybe a different philosopher uh maybe a different elevator pitch but yes, uh, uh, something like this, the sort of same thing again, I, I, I might not quite jive with, but um, I love that it exists. And again, talking about kind of the individual mechanics and the ways that, you know, some of it might not live up to the like philosophical aspirations. Um, uh, like, I feel like it's kind of missing the forest for the trees a little bit. Like overall, I think the game just wants to be more of like a joyful expression than anything else. Like it yeah. is educational, but uh, I think it's, it's very playful and it's, it is just kind of obsessed with, uh, with the joy in play and in movement and uh, just the way that the different things move around. I love whenever you possess a fence and then you can watch it kind of slithering around like a snake and wrapping in, in itself <laughs> and you can surround other you know objects with your fence uh, that you control and it's just there's so many just little fun interactions and when you finish the game when you when you progress to the point at which you can escape this golden gate 
hell scenario <laughs> that you find yourself in. You get this nice little cutscene that plays out of all these different objects in the universe all dancing together to this really uh, kind of lively and upbeat music. But at the end of it all, it says, you know, congratulations, you've completed the tutorial. And you know, it gives you the idea that like the real game is just get, get out there and explore, get out there and learn something like just go out there and be a part of it all. And mm. um, I I like that. Like it does. It does set some kind of lofty and heady goals for itself, but uh, I think in the end, like it, it, it is a very simple game, and I don't think it punches higher than it can really reach. Like you know, it keeps the um, it, it keeps the moment to moment within reach at all times. Yeah, it's interesting. You, I, 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 I agree absolutely. The movement thing. In 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 a bigger in a bigger budget game, everyone talks about the Mario sixty four. You know the idea of kind of making Mario's movement perfect and fun in and of itself, and then you get to Mario Odyssey, and that is a brilliantly fun game to just plop around in, and you get to then become these other objects which have their own fun movement. All of which took hundreds of developers several years to kind of work out and make it feel good and get that good game feel. And there's no way you know that a game like everything. Would it could even aspire to that kind of kind of the joy of movement literally in a video game mechanical sense? So that's absolutely fair enough, and you you are right that playfulness yeah makes it a brilliant just a brilliant thing in and of itself. Uh, um, yeah, and, and as we've said, the, the playfulness through the dance button through the singing um, comes out in various different ways. In that moment, moment, one thing I want to call out that's very nice is when you hit the lower right or lower left shoulder button to possess to go up or down possessing-wise, a bunch of little circles appear, right? And you, you put it over and you possess it. But if the circles aren't in your viewpoint, they're kind of these streaks off to the side. Uh, and if you've never possessed that thing before, the circle or streak is like this nice rainbow that kind of stands out. And um, I don't know, it's just very well done and definitely, I'm not like a collector person, right? Or like, I don't care about uh, getting a hundred percent or whatever, but I the the very act of like oh there's a little rainbow streak. Let me look over there. Oh well, there's a little circle. I'm going to be oh look, I'm a crab. <laughs> yeah, on a moment to moment level. I mean, it's it's again the like the vibe works here for me. And when you look at the Alan Watts stuff, kind of only in terms of it being kind of a video game reward that goes along with the the feel of it. Uh, I'm a hundred percent on board. It's if I try to analyze their connection more closely that I, I start having questions. The music I've I've loved very much. I do like a bit of ambient music generally outside uh, of, of video games. Uh, there's a lot of ambient music in video games, actually. It's one of the most kind of uh, uh, the prolific genres in video game music. It's just not a lot of people notice and it doesn't always make it onto the soundtrack album. But the soundtrack album is an ambient music soundtrack album. And uh, I just really love the way that um, Ben Lukas Boyson and, and Sebastian Plano went about things. As I understand it, at least on some level, it's Sebastian Plano playing and improvising on the cello, sending long improvisations over to, to Boyson, who then turns them into very nice, washed out, electronic um, sort of soundscapey ambiences. I just think there's enough variety in there. There's enough strange sounds and alien sounding things and especially when you drop down to the different levels or you enter the hellscape it it does enough to to make you feel situated in a different environment or 
out in the universe or whatever. So, um, yes, really recommended people just check it out for sort of like background while you... It's a bit odd. Someone came into the room and heard you listening to kind of like underwater cello music. They might think you'd gone a bit strange, but um, it is a very relaxing listen, I think. And it does that thing where there's only music playing some of the time. A lot of the uh, game is spent just in that environmental ambience and just hearing the sounds of the city or the sounds of nature. So, uh, you know, it pipes in when it when it needs to be there and uh, drops out respectfully when it doesn't. Any other notes about the sound and music before we move on to, I guess, to the community contributions? I liked it a lot. I did like the cello. There were also some, yeah, there were some treated parts that reminded me, if anyone has heard of the John Hassel and Brian Eno album, Fourth World's Possible Musics, I'd be curious if you were also reminded uh, of that while playing this game. Uh, not that it's a big popular album. I, I really, to, when you say atmospheric music, Tom, you talked about that, and it's just such an important part because when when video game music is discussed, I, um, very frequently we're talking about these major themes or like these like these major pieces of music in a game that's tied to a specific scene or a story beat or that but the reality is that most of video game music is atmospheric it's just kind of there to be there to be pleasant to push you along but also it it by its nature of being atmospheric can't stand out like it's not going to have like a melody line you're going to whistle later. You know what I mean? Because it, it needs to be background music because it services everything else. And in that way, um, playing this game for the first time with headphones, I was a really kind of a, a neat experience because those whooshing as you're zooming in and out of whatever being you're controlling at the time and just kind of like letting the entire experience kind of revolve around you. Um, I think the music is incredibly effective at that. It does make you. The, the the kind of melodic themes make you feel like you're part of something bigger. And I, so I think it set I think it accomplished what it sets out to do. Mm. But uh, aside from that, I don't I don't have any, you know, stronger feelings beyond that. As much as I mean, the, the audio is incredibly important for this game. I think uh, it's it's a classic example of you may not think it, but as much work probably somewhat went into making you know every object you have to animate you need a sound effect for you need sound effects for their motion for their singing the the music takes a long time to make it takes a long time to put in the game and balance and put in the engine and all of that stuff so i think it's a great example for to sort of say to someone look it's half the experience here without the audio being spot on and immersive um, and enriching this would be a much, much lesser experience for it. Same with taking Alan Watts out. But even Alan Watts's voice, the EQ on it and some of the reverb choices, it just it just kind of cuts through in this really... And, it, and that's not just his voice. That is an audio thing, how they've chosen to treat his voice and EQ it and have it come in. Um, gives it this kind of, dare I say, godlike um, ambience in a way. And that's coming from someone who has a, a, a British accent, who's not just cowed <laughs> by his plummy. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. Well, he's quite, Ameri he's quite Americanized, actually, ironically, I think. Well, yeah, it's like mid-Atlantic. It's kind of a transatlantic right? thing going. Yeah, 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 which is the classiest of all accents, as we know. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, he's, it's like if you have a spectrum that on one end is like the imperiousness of Orson Welles. Now, the other end is like Terry Thomas, 
Like he's right in the middle. I, I it's hard for me to like <laughs> pin down what is so appealing about. I don't know. There's certain little high pitched noises he makes. I find quite charming. Mm, because you could get you could get a voice actor to read this stuff. You know, in a world where David O'Reilly had less budget and just could not get the archival recordings, but was allowed to kind of re-record, you know, you could get an actor to do it. But would you be able to find an actor with as much gravitas, you know, like I think you think of Stanley Parable and Logan Cunningham with the um, with the Supergiant games? You just they're one in a million to have that much weight and meaning in their voice. But the brilliant thing, of course, Alan Watts is actually means it. He's saying it, he's thinking it as he says it, and he wasn't saying it in context of a, a video game audio booth. I would pay for DLC that replaces all of Watts' uh, archival recordings with Gilbert Gottfried reading the exact same things. <laughs> like, like, like the sat-nav. Like the... <laughs> I, I, I was thinking this week, because of the sad death of, of Norm MacDonald, that someone's got to be working on a mod where they just replace every Alan Watts thing with, you know, the moth joke and <laughs> et cetera. Um, and yeah, I think this game is actually a good model of, of how, you know, a, a, a jeweler setting jewels in, you know, the, the appropriate crown or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Let's go over to our community and see how it has landed with the members of our forum. We have a write-in from Joba Bonobo who says, everything is a really odd one to me. It's a weird sentence to read out of context, but I think by now we've uh, covered that ground. <laughs> I have really not played anything like it before, and I honestly find it very hard to talk about. For example, in terms of gameplay, there's really no overarching aim or goals. But conversely, this is also the ultimate collectathon in a weird way, due to the player taking on the form of various living creatures, objects, and celestial bodies, and to get 100% on obtaining everything is a massive endeavor. I have currently become 53% of all various things in the game, and there's just something nice about discovering a new thing that you can become and play around with. That is what I think this game predominantly is, a big playground. You can really mess around and experiment with multiple scenarios, which for me tended to be on the more absurd side of things, such as having a blue whale swim through bacteria and pollen grains, an owl flying underwater, and a school of angelfishes swimming in the sky or an army of skyscrapers stampeding through the city. <laughs> it is just the perfect thing to zone out to and just appreciate the sights and sounds. Listening to Alan Watts while watching a flock of swallows dancing in the sky while the clouds move over the horizon can honestly be an enchanting experience. And I think that this is the perfect niche for this game. Uh, in its more euphoric moments, it even made me appreciate what I have and to experience life at the fullest before I eventually return back to the earth from which I came. As a whimsical celebration of existence, I think everything succeeds quite admirably, but I do have one complaint, which is that some things are not categorized properly, which enrages my inner pedant. For example, jellyfishes and starfishes are included in the fish category despite not even having vertebrae. Then, to make matters worse, seahorses, which are fish, are included in the category of other. Come on, everything, sort your taxonomy out. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he really has no interest in systems. Even, yeah, Linelli, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Well, we put out a call for three-word reviews, and um, <laughs> we have received one three-word review in a, uh, a true sense of the phrase, everything or nothing. Um, Tom, why don't you read Joba Bonobo's three-word review here? <laughs> Giant Space Paramecium. Perfect. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's it for three-word reviews. If you would like to contribute a uh, 
a review of any of the upcoming games in our volume or a three word review, uh, then tune into our our forum at canrements.com slash forum or check out our Twitter. We put out a call for three word reviews on the day of recording at Kane and Rinse. Anyways, let's let's summarize. Um let's summarize everything, how about? <laughs> Brian, do you want to start by giving us your thoughts on everything? Yes, I will. Um, where to begin? Uh, I think we we talked a lot in this episode, and I was really I was really interested coming into it, like where the conversation would go, and 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 much like the game, everything I was pleasantly surprised um, because there you can't talk about everything in this game. You cannot touch on every piece of it, every collectible, every feeling you had, and I think that just by its nature everybody's experience with it is going to be fundamentally different all i know is that like i have that moment that i had today mere hours before this recording of me sitting with my son making woolly mammoths dance and laugh and and i had those moments of flying through space as a galaxy and just kind of contemplating the size and the nature of everything when when alan watts is 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 reading um some some pretty heartfelt and uh and i i guess just appropriate themed um philosophy for the game that we were playing and and i think the game has problems for sure i don't it it doesn't control well i see it's so hard to even do that because that's part of the whole thing it's it's so unique that if you have already listened to this point and have listened through all of this conversation about it that you should definitely pick this up and just check it out because it's it really is a unique experience um when i came into this recording i had written down notes that this game reminded me of abzu quite a bit it does, but now even in our conversations, it really even separates itself more from 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 Abzu. Abzu being this underwater exploration game where you're kind of you. There's a singing, there's a calling. It's a lot. There's a lot of similarities um, in the gameplay, but but everything just kind of takes on this other meaning when it comes to looking at the philosophy behind it all and and looking into what the developers are trying to say. And and this is not a game that's for everybody. And and, and it's hard to even call it a game in some respects because it just doesn't really set out to accomplish the normal goals that we associate with video games. Um, like it sounds ridiculous that there's going to be there. There will be a wiki page somewhere with video games that came out in the year 2017 and on that game on that list will be everything and you know far cry five like i mean like like it's like, <laughs> like 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 how different of like like what are you trying to get out of a game what what's the purpose of a video game what is the like they it, it's such its own thing that it's hard to categorize which maybe everything is kind of the aptly titled for that reason but if but if you have even been on the fence at all i've seen it for less than five dollars like ryan said before maybe in plus or epic game store um, sales or free games uh check it out because you'll know instantly if it's something you don't want to engage with and it's certainly as we have discussed throughout this whole episode um it offers a uh, wholly unique experience to check out. So yeah, I wholly recommend it. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I'll go next. I think that everything is a, a very interesting game. Uh, it's one that I'm very, very happy that I finally spent the time with, if nothing else, then to just to get introduced to Alan Watts's philosophy and to be it's more kind of immersed in um, those philosophical kind of existential conversations. And uh, I just found that to be very interesting. The actual gameplay experience is a bit like it is a bit minimal. You're not out there really chasing a lot of goals. You're not being propelled forward by the need to, you know, achieve some sort of great end at the end of your journey. But 
if you're in the mood for something that's just a little bit more passive, a little bit more playful, something that tells a lot of like good visual jokes and lets you just revel in the joy of exploration and discovery, then this is really a, a really nice piece to kind of settle in with. Uh, I'll say a couple nice companion pieces, and these aren't necessarily even similar in gameplay and style, but um, just a couple pieces that I felt have like a really nice resonance on like a vibe level, perhaps, that if you if you enjoyed everything, you might also enjoy. Uh, there's a game maybe two years ago, maybe back in 2019, maybe a bit earlier, called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, in which you are kind of an on-foot traveler hitchhiking and um, and walking across the United States and encountering strange things as you do so in all these different cities and towns and coastal villas and lighthouses and old burned-down barns and such. And then you go off and tell your stories to other people that you meet in the big cities. And then as you're traveling around, you encounter the stories that you had previously recounted to other people coming back to you in in uh, kind of larger than life ways. And you can see that kind of proliferation of, uh, of these stories, the way that they change over time, this kind of creation of urban legend and of myth, some of which are perhaps even all of which are based on real urban legends from the uh, American continent. And um, I, I think that fits nicely with this because it is this very kind of curiosity driven exploration focused, slow paced, observation of evolution and the way that ideas grow in kind of a similar way that this game is uh is kind of like a slow paced exploration of the way that uh that our idea of of things and creatures and their relation to each other all kind of inhabit space and uh, another one that I wanted to point out is uh called Cloud Gardens which is another kind of slow playful piece about uh about plant life kind of reclaiming post-human urban spaces where uh, you can just kind of place plants, watch them grow, watch the plants kind of weave their their vines around each other and um, create these really beautiful uh, little locales of post-apocalyptic but, uh, but greenery-covered spaces in a post-human world. Um, again, just kind of playful in its love of natural life and it's um, recontextualization of the objects that give that humanity gives meaning that um, that I, I thought kind of plays nicely with everything. So uh, I guess that's uh, my summary on that one. Jesse, what does everything make you think about? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I I tried to actually take it all in at once. Uh, I've short circuited. Um, I- yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like I've kind of given my positive and negative takes on this, right? That, that I think it, it's a, a wonderful piece of sort of interactive visual art, um, whose, right, that, that is, is not necessarily interested in the things that the video games that maybe I'm most interested in is interested in. So with that, you know, caveat, um, I'm very glad I played it. I'm very glad I replayed it. And I'm very glad to have it around for my cats. Um, I think, honestly, <laughs> the the best use case for this, I, I don't have children. Uh, so that didn't occur to me. But I would certainly love to walk into, you know, I don't go to a lot of, uh, I don't know, fancy bars, but like a cool nightclub, having this just up on the screen somewhere, uh, running for hours, and there's a controller. And if anyone notices it, they can pick it up and 
you know, do whatever and figure it out or not figure it out. And then they put it down and it keeps going like it does really feel like, um, you know, true ambient art in a way that like I've seen other examples of in museums that I found far less interesting. And I think also, right, I am interested in this idea of a game as sort of a, a way to titrate content almost, uh, especially content that did not originate with that game uh, in the sense of, you know, we live in a, a a time of kind of odd existential crisis almost when it comes to stuff like music, where as a person in their mid 40s, I recall music having a scarcity to it that forced you to concentrate on it. Right. Um, and the double edged sort of having to buy an album to hear an album. Uh, but now, you know, just go on Spotify and check it out. And and the the idea of, you know, there's tons of these lectures on YouTube that I could have listened to at any point. Uh, but would I have? Right. Uh, if you weren't kind of uh, titrating it to me in this context of, you know, a game that is, if anything, a, a very pleasant knitting game. Right. Just a very pleasant thing to do with your hands and eyes while you're um, absorbing the next thing. Um, and yeah, and it, you know, I'm, I'm glad it finally introduced me to Watts. He's a really interesting thinker. Um, reminds me, I don't know if uh, uh, if people get into him, I would also recommend uh, one of my favorite books, The Man Who Is Thursday by G.K. Chesterton, who feels like he's kind of like Alan Watts, but 50 years before in Catholic which is a very amusing <laughs> difference, um, but has a similar combination of like saying something that's incredibly glib and clever, but then you think about it and and it is that, but it's actually also profound and like has some, I don't know, there was that great watch quote at the beginning of like, people say that they, um, you know, they're born into this world, but no, you come out of it, which is simultaneously like something the Sphinx and Mystery Men says, but also an absolutely good point that I will think about for a long time. So, um, and, and as again, sort of a crown that sets those jewels, I think O'Reilly does a very good job, certainly again, in terms of vibe, in terms of the music, in terms of just sort of what you're doing, uh, as long as you don't think too hard about it. Those are all brilliant uh, thoughts from all of you guys um, covered a lot of territory that I might have. So to try and diversify final thoughts, I think, if you're at all, if you enjoy the humour of Monty Python or and or Douglas Adams, that kind of British um, silly but occasionally serious or able to lampoon or, or put big topics into into d- different perspective using humour, I think you'll fit very, you, you'll slip very nicely into this. I think whether or not those things that you, you've read Douglas Adams or not or listened to the, the radio plays or, or not, this game makes a very good, uh, b- brilliant first impression, I think, to thinking people just through everything, the music, the atmosphere, the, the animation, the, the, the Adam Watts, the thought bubbles, It's and then the magic trick of going up and ascending and descending in level. And the first time you do all of those, I think it, it's such a, a revelation. And then later on, the experience of being able to passively enjoy it, as well as a sort of different quality that the game has, as Jesse points out, would be very cool. I think of it like a coffee table game, like you could leave it just running in a uh, a particular company or a particular place, and it would intrigue a certain subset of people, including cats and children. I wonder what the cats would rate it out of 10. And it's interesting, just in context of what I've been playing recently, it, I've, I played... Um, 
um, Cosmo D is the Norwood Suite, um, which is more uh, avant-garde and kind of non-sequitur, silly, weird, but not a gazillion light years away from this low-poly kind of fun smashing objects together and, and making weird connections. Snaky Bus, which is one of those kind of physics-y, silly, bash around a city and you're a bus that flies and whatever and it's just silly and the movement is fun but a bit frustrating and a bit low budget but but it's a good old time manifold garden as well i played recently which sort of has this existential thing of of an ever-repeating mathematical world it's not similar to everything but it's not a gazillion light years away in tone or thought playing these experiences in between big action games that I've been playing recently, God of War and Demon Souls, you know, games that feel good in the fingers, feel good. Your fingers are on the pad and you're concentrating and serious stuff is happening. It's dark and there's choir singing and stuff like that. Just to jump into a game like everything in between those as a palate cleanser. And that's not to say that it is not a worthy, you know, video game compared to those or that those are better. It's just that it is so different, so eye-opening and and also if you're in a place you know if you're in a bad headspace or an introspective headspace or you're just at an age or a life stage where you're uh, just being a bit ponderous i think letting alan watts disturb your ideas for a little while as jesse says you, you know you could go and search out his lectures somewhere but are you going to you're just going to bookmark the page and never get to it but playing this you get the enjoyability of the of the art of the interactive art and this philosophy that can disturb your ideas and just switch your perspectives in just a turn of phrase, in just a simple one line, Alan Watts can change your perspective. And so um, I'm very grateful for the game for introducing me to that um, and introducing me and, and helping me through those things. And, and equally, there's a section of the game that you might get stuck in and echo some less helpful thoughts back at you and get incredibly frustrated with. So I warn you, but but escaping that and, and reaching the, the end of the tutorial of that game is actually uh, a very uplifting thing as well. So um, yeah, strong recommendation. I'm very happy we got to, we got to talk about something very different and um, uh, yeah, everyone should really uh, endeavour to check it out, I think. I'm pretty sure my cats would give it a 10 out of 10 because it is the only game I've played where if one of them comes and lies down on one of my arms, I just put the controller down and I'm like, okay, this is where we are now. <laughs> they appreciate that. I think that. the real question is, are cats on a base 10 system or a base 8 system based on the oh, number of yeah. fingers that they have? But, uh, <laughs> that we might leave to another day. <laughs> An 8 out of 8. One more game, actually, I just thought of Paper Beast. I don't know if anyone's played Paper Beast, but uh, similar yeah, yeah. vibe. Excellent. A lot of good, uh, good other game recommendations that'll keep people busy in between issues here. Um, it remains for me, Ryan Heyman, to thank Tom, Brian, and Jesse, as well as our community correspondents, our one lone community correspondent today. Um, plus, of course, everyone for listening to the show. Uh, next time, you can join us in issue 487 or... In Metroidvania set in castles. Sounds like Castlevania to me. 